Hello, man. How are you? All good, Mark. Thanks for joining us today. Um, no introduction needed uh, from you. I wanted to uh, catch up with you. You've been sort of traveling. You're in Australia recently um, at the conference down there. But the, the big um, talk at the moment is obviously the Alta Mesa ISR project, Salt Encore Energy. Is that a good deal for both of you? Well, I think it is a great deal for both of us. Um, uh, we're really excited about it because we were able to monetize an asset that was sort of out of our patch. I mean, Texas, uh, in the scheme of the world, isn't far away, but it's far away for us when you look at Utah and Wyoming and even Arizona. Uh, but I think it's good for Encore because it provides them uh, an asset in Texas um, and, and close to home for them because it, it's it's close to Corpus Christi and they can go ahead and focus on it now where we were not going to be able to focus on it for a few years. So, uh, you know, we're very happy with the transaction. Uh, we, we think we got a fair value for it. And the beauty of it is those funds uh, will fund us for the next two, three years without dilution for energy fuels and, and let us put the accelerator down on the uranium and the rare earth fronts. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't be more pleased. Okay, but you're talking about uranium and rare earths because because I think certainly a lot of feedback we've had was that oh is this a signal that energy fuels Mark Chalmers is more enchanted by the rare earth component? I mean, you're selling the good stuff. The price that you sold this for would suggest that this is some of the good stuff that you're selling off here. Is is it true? Are we just going to be rare earth company going forward? It's absolutely not true. Okay, anyone who knows me. You know, I've been in the uranium business 46 years and I've got uranium pumping through my veins. Um, I'm absolutely committed to the uranium space now and going forward. Uh, it's it just one of those transactions that that uh, when we looked at our bandwidth and what we could focus on and the regions that we're operating on, we want to do everything that we're focused on 100% or 110% focus on it, be funded and get that momentum going now not two or three years from now when we probably would have been looking at ultimates as a startup if uranium prices supported that. So uh, it's, uh, I mean, I know some people looked at it and kind of raised their eyebrows, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on what's best for the shareholders here. And I know this is a great deal for the shareholders and that's the way we're rolling. And as I said, uh, when you look at our existing balance sheet and you add this transaction, you know, we're in a great position going forward for the next few years. Right. Okay. And and it's it, not only is it South Texas, but I guess it's ISR versus the hard rock stuff that you, you've got going on elsewhere. Um, so will there be more sales to kind of fund the rare earth components of your growth story? Or are we done now? We have no plans to do further sales. No okay. plans. Um, have you right got now, plans to um, do further it, acquisitions, Mark? Well, look, we're we're always going to be open for things that make sense, and um and and this this transaction made sense for us. Uh, the beauty of it is, is it gets us into uh, positive. We believe positive cash flow position both on uranium and rare earths. So, um, yeah, it it gets the flywheel going in a big way. So, you know, right now we're in a great shape. You know, as you know, Matt, we have zero debt, and this funds the startup of of two or three mines, um, all the working capital we need for those mines to start filling contracts that start in 2023, our uranium contracts. It gets a separation plant, what we call phase one separation plant, 
which would be between uh, 2,500 to 5,000 tons of REO. I mean, to put that in a context, that's about the size of the NEO plant, probably bigger than the NEO plant. Um, next year, we, we plan to have that completed at the end of next year, or early in 2024. And we also will have the ability to separate oxides in the United States of America. And, um, and, and we, we, we believe we're gonna be the first mover doing that commercially. And, um, and then on top, we're looking at phase two, which is to build out or design and engineer and permit a facility that's in the order of Linus, in the same order of what they currently have capacity to do. So it's exciting, we're busy, the team's working hard, but the team is working smart. Okay, right. I I, I get all of the above. It, it, it's, it's kind of it's a nice picture you paint. I, I, just in terms of the, the nuance of the detail, because I want to understand the structure of this of, of the deal. It's sixty million in cash and sixty million on a on a well a, a, a secured convertible note, right? So interest bearing as well over two year two year period. I think it's something like eight eight percent. How can we kind of structure it like this? Because it's, it's quite an interesting return on the original investment when you first bought Alton Mesa. I think you, you, I can't remember what you paid for it, but it's it's a nice return on on the project. But how did you end up structuring it like this? What, what, why not just all cash or just straight shares? Yeah, look, it was um, it was structured really because this was a big a, a, a big acquisition for Encore, and um, you know we were trying to um, you know help them to a certain extent. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we wanted to help ourselves. I mean, we we did this on a way that 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 we had, uh, you know, got a material amount of cash up front. Uh, we had the the two year note and the interest, but we also had this this convert option. Um, so so yeah, we we you know, it was a big lift for him. It's a big lift for him, an important lift. But again, a very you know, you know, I think it's kind of a, a company def, company defining acquisition for them. Uh, but we we just we just like the um, we, we like the whole deal for energy yeah. fuels and, and we like it for Encore. Yeah, no, so it was amazing. I think it was kind of surprised the market a little bit um, in, in a sense. I mean, if you're looking at some of your bigger institutional shareholders, do, they, do you think they kind of get it? Do you think they under, understand it? They don't look at this as some kind of backward step. Look, I think most people get it. I, it did raise a few eyebrows, and I had a number of chats with shareholders. I think the more they they, they, they think about the use of proceeds and the momentum we're going to get from that and that it's non-dilutive. Uh, I think most of them have, have decided this is a good deal for energy fuel. So um, as I said, I'm doing this, what's good for energy fuels and our shareholders. And uh, after 46 years in this business, you know, I would, I would think I have some insight on what's good to advance uh, a company uh, like ours. And uh, so, you know, we're focused on the long haul here. We're not focused on, you know, the share price today or tomorrow. We're focused on where we're going over the next few years. Right. But you do have a new parallel track um, here with energy fuels, which which is kind of, you know, which is the rare earth component um, at, the, at the heart of which is the white mason mill. So the white mason mill is important for your uranium track and it's also important for this new rare earth track so just just remind people if you don't mind about this kind of phase one phase two optionality that you've got phase one is, is relatively small capex requirement but kind of gets the ball rolling utilizing some of the existing infrastructure and phase two is this big step up and that's the that is where you potentially get to say well we could be a linus type 
North American focused uh, company. So phase one, phase two, if you don't mind explaining those. Or reminding oh, okay. People. Phase, phase one, um, we'll do the cracking and leaching in the existing uranium mill. And then we'll build out this separation plant that will um, uh, recover the NDPR and the SM plus, which is the heavies, uh, basically a heavies concentrate. And we'll do that in an existing uh, facility or SX building. So we're doing uh, phase one, utilizing a lot of our existing infrastructure uh, now, all right? And that gets us, and we think it's important to stay ahead of the game here, to show people we can do this commercially. This, it's really uh, world significant outside of China. Uh, phase two, we will build a complete separate crack and leach facility where the we won't use the uh, leach circuit of the, the White Mesa Mill. We'll have a separate circuit next door and we'll have a new dedicated solvent extraction circuit that will be in addition to the circuit that we'll have in the existing facility. So it'll probably be in the order of 15,000 tons of REO capacity in the new circuit, but we'll also have maybe up to 5,000 tons of REO uh, in the phase one circuit. So in the order of around 20,000 tons REO, which is in about the same order of what Linus has right now which is big Linus, whatever they are was it four billion something like that um <clears throat> can, can i can i just talk to you about the white mason mill bit of bit of that because obviously that that phase one phase two is is great but you've got you multiple lines you've got to you you've got to feed or potentially can feed using white mason mill lots and lots of questions and we, i know we've talked about it ad infinitum and, and multiple occasions but it, it's worth going over again for people who, who've missed it you know, people are asking and, and I'm, I'm asking this in the context of a conversation I've had with a kind of, I guess, uh, leading in uh, uranium industry CEO who's been around a while. He's produced uranium. He kind of knows what he's talking about, build mines, right? And he's saying, I'm looking at the North American market. I'm struggling to see, bar one or two exceptions, you're, you're in the exceptional crew there as far as he's concerned. I'm struggling to see how all of these companies get into production because they don't have the skill sets necessarily, the, the assets aren't all that good, and no one's ever built a mine, a, you know, a uranium mine or, or facility before. So that's a problem for the US in terms of homegrown uranium. It's also it's also potentially a problem for you if that doesn't happen, because you, with your with your mill, your optionality there is you can you want that feed, you want them to do well. Because you want to, you want to do either tolling agreements or purchase agreements with them, don't you? There's, there's two steps for the conventional mill. There's the mining step, and there's the processing step. So on the mining step, I, that that's pretty basic and relatively simple. The mining step for the conventional, the providing conventional ore to the mill. I mean, a lot of the technical risk is on the processing, and and, and we've got that covered. So, so if you put those two together. Um, you know, and, 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 and many of the mills in the past, in the 70s, 60s, and 70s in the United States were toll processing facilities. Now, we're doing an ore buying schedule. We're not toll processing ore from parties that will sell so us. So no tolling. No tolling yeah. at all. Well, we, we've, we've got a toll um, milling agreement with, with consolidated uranium. So that's the only one that we have. Um, if they process ore at the mill, they can they can toll it. Uh, we'll get a, um, a, a a margin for that, and then they'll have the product to sell on their own if they elect to. On the purchase agreement, we will buy the material, 
uh, on a formula, and the formula will allow the margin we need to process it and also um, make a margin on the, the, the whole process, including selling uranium to our account. So um, they're different. They're different. But, you know, it, we're, we're in a unique position because nobody else is in that sort of position pretty much anywhere in the world. I um, mean, there may be an exception or two. But certainly in the United States with the White Mesa Mill, we're the only ones there. Now, on the topic of, you know, people uh, starting up new projects, not just in the United States, but around the world, a lot of them are going to fail. And um, they're going to fail because of technical risks. They're going to fail because of economics. They don't achieve their projections on their, their production, uh, costs, whatever. And history tends to repeat. It. And, and my my talk I gave down in Australia was, will history repeat? You know, and, and, and it will. There will be a number of failures. Now, there will be a few successes, but there'll be more failures than successes. See, again, conversations that we're having with, with, with companies, we were talking to one this morning, which saw there between the PEA and the PFS, saw the CapEx rise up by an additional 150 million bucks. It saw their IRR drop from 80% down to 23 percent that's a that's a big deal the you know ri rising costs are causing the kind of capex of, of projects and i suspect later on the opex of projects to rise significantly and margins are getting squeezed for some companies it would make sense to look for tolling agreements or you know purchase agreements um rather than go through that kind of that kind of capex pain because the cost of the money is also increasing for companies like that as their as their risk pro you know the risk profile of those companies increases too so it's a difficult environment in which they're they're trying to operate but ultimately we kind of need all this uranium so hopefully people find find a way way through this but they're also going to come against another crunch point which is if, it, if there's a purchasing agreement, they don't really have much negotiation power there, right? It's a kind of, will be a buyer's market, not a seller's market, I, I, I suspect. And the terms by which they can, and the margins that they make in those conversations is going to be difficult too. So, I mean, great for you, great for you, but not so good for them. So how, do, how, do, how does the North America get that balance right? Or is that not your problem? Well, look, it, for for told you know for purchasing agreement um for it to be successful you know we want those who are mining uh, to at least make you know slight margin on the the mining step uh because the more material they mine the more material we can process and the more material we can then sell um it's striking that balance and uh you know it's our, our goal to to strike a balance where uh it's sustainable you know we 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 want sustainable feed and 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 really um, you know, this concept, as I say, it goes back decades. And, and I've actually, in, in my early days, as a miner, I was supplying a, or purchasing agreements to Union Carbide in the 70s. So I've done this before personally. So I think I have a pretty good understanding. So you want the miners to make enough money to break rock, to uh, put it in a truck and ship it to the mill. So then we receive it. And then we process it when we're ready to process it. So, um, yeah, you, you know, you really want a deal that works for everybody. But ultimately, we're going to buy material that we can make a profit on. It reduces the risk profile for us because the material gets delivered to the mill. We buy it. We know what our costs of processing are. 
and we go from there. And that seems a lot easier than actually going and saying, I need to go and buy a bunch more uh, assets because then you don't have the mining risk, right? It, it's kind of seems to the opposite of what the, in terms of battery uh, metal space is. You're seeing a lot of battery manufacturers and OEMs kind of moving upstream and taking positions in, in, in companies. You're saying that actually with a buying program, you don't have to assume any of that risk. It gets delivered to your front door. And at that point, you know what your, your margins are going to be. Makes sense, I guess. Correct. That's correct. Okay. So it, 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 it reduces risk. But but at the same time, the people that we buy from, and, and, and we're going to be very selective on who we buy from, because whoever we buy from has to be mining uh, in full compliance on every front. Um, you know, with the regulations at that their facility, and uh, you know, as I said, we'll be on on a, on a formula uh, on a recovered basis, and we'll just you know stack up the, our costs, and then we'll figure out what we can we can afford to pay, and hopefully, what we can afford to pay also provides a uh, margin for those that are supplying us with the ore. Right, and and ultimately, you kind of you want, and not, not that the white matter has ever operated at full capacity, but you want to optimize it as as much as possible. So, in terms of the amount of uranium ore, because I know the the you know rare earths is a different base. It's going to be much smaller quantities, but much higher margins. But the uranium component, are you, have you got an idea in your head as to? how full or what percentage of, of the kind of processing capability you want to try to achieve? Well, the White Mesa Mill has a licensed production capacity of 8 million pounds per year. Right. Uh, over 40 years, the, the maximum that's ever produced is about 4 million pounds in a given year. So, you know, that's why our phase one we with, with the rare earths uh, and also going forward with, with the mining and, and, and processing uh, at the White Mesa Mill for uranium, uh, you know, we don't see any bottleneck at this point in time. But when we build the phase two and have the separate crack and leach facility, they'll be completely separate uh, uh, infrastructure. So we'll be trying to push up that capacity, both on the rare earth front and the, 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 the all new facility and also on the uranium front. So um, yeah, it's a little bit of a juggle at this point in time, but if you go back over 40 years, it's been manageable at that mill. It's going to be interesting, actually. So um, looking, so there's not many sort of North American um, uranium companies um, who are advanced enough to be talking about, well, extracting ore and anytime soon. Um, but they're going to need to get a grip on their economics. And, you know, usually they're talking about spot price. They're talking about term contracts. They're talking about all, all of these things. But with the context that you're describing, you know, they're going to have to come up with a slightly different set of economics here because they're not going to be able to capture what they think they're going to capture. So that's going to make it kind of interesting going forward in terms of how you value some of these organizations. Do you think, I mean, have you started any conversations with anyone? Has anyone um, inquired as to what sort of, what the numbers could look like? Um, look, it's early early stages there um i have um, yesterday was talking to uh one group um i mean look it's 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 generally in the order of um 50 of the recoverable value uh that that's generally what it is for the, the ore to show up at the mill and then we take it from there it's in that order and it could vary i mean it, it depends too because you have uranium only ores 
you have uranium-vanadium ores, and in some cases, you have very high-grade vanadium ores with low uranium. So, you know, the, to come up with a, a, a schedule that captures those different ore feeds, uh, you know, it can vary somewhat. And, and to process uranium-vanadium ores, this is expensive. So, you know, a lot of people underestimate what the cost is of the operating cost of, of processing. Um, so it, it's a number of variables, Matt. But, um, but yeah, it's generally speaking just around 50% of the recovered value of those, those, those uh, you know, elements, uranium and vanadium. Okay, it's so that's, they'll save a bit on CapEx and OpEx. You're going to take a little bit of that. You're going to take a little bit of that to price in terms of the ore processing program, you can take extract some of some of that upside yourself. Okay, interesting. I think it's interesting because I, I say companies are going to have to report differently um, in terms of these economic studies, and I think perhaps not not just the companies, but investors, um, brokers are going to have to try and try understand that a little bit more or realize that that could could be the case. Or I guess companies have got options to look elsewhere. Don't they? Well, only so many options, right? When it comes to conventional or processing in the United States, we are the only option. Right, Mark. Well, so, like, um, I think I've kind of probably, probably asked uh, as much as I want to ask on, on, on that side of things until kind of things start moving forward. Uh, have you, so with, with the um, Alta Mesa deal, is, is that fully concluded and executed money in the bank now? No, the money is not in the bank. We still have to close it. We've signed the binding agreements. Uh, it's my understanding that uh, Encore has raised their funds <clears throat> So, you know, I think it's um, it's really down to the paperwork. Um, you know, we have to transfer the documents and get various approvals from some of the regulatory agencies. So it's it's really just the closing process. Um, we're, we're, we're pointing to get it done uh, before the end of the year. That's our goal. And um, so that's the path we're going down. So, you know, I think it's certainly well advanced. And uh, as I said, I couldn't be happier for energy fuels. And I also want to thank Encore, Paul Gorenson, uh, Bill Sheriff, uh, for pushing this forward um, to a successful conclusion. Yeah, I think I think they're super pleased as well. So I think it, it has been a sort of a deal of equals, uh, quite frankly. So uh, congrats to both teams on on, on that one. And um, obviously, market starting to hot up again. Interest seems to be peaking again. A lot more uh, inbound um, about uranium, I think, and obviously a lot more. A conversation about it with 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 political narrative. Politicians freed up to talk about energy security using using nuclear. Now, I think we're seeing mainstream press coverage, mainstream media coverage uh, of of nuclear energy as as, as a solution uh, to this energy crisis we we all face globally um, at the moment. Twenty twenty three starting to look like a very interesting place. Supply way down. Seemingly, seemingly, the enriched uranium side of things, it, 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 people are, are looking hard at. It's it's, it's not going to happen overnight, but that that that's all good news. So, broadly, it should be. We're hoping, cross fingers, and anything else, a good year for uranium next year. We think it's going to be a good time for uranium and all critical elements. So, you know, we're building the critical mineral hub, uh, producing, recovering. Um, more elements than anybody else. So, you know, as I said before, you typically invest in a uranium-only company or rare earths company or a vanadium company, but when you invest in energy fuels, you get all three of those. And uh, that is absolutely unique to energy fuels. There really is no peer for us. We trade as a uranium company, 
the upside is to get more of these elements and really maximize our revenue going forward. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. 2023 is going to be a very important year, but really looking forward to the future, Matt. 